This week on The Big Show, award-winning indie director and Spike Lee protege Stefan Bristol will be our special guest to discuss his latest film, the Netflix feature, See You Yesterday. And we'll introduce you to a friend and colleague from our Critical Movie Critics Network, Hannah Bookdahl, co-host of The Cinema Clash. Plus, we'll have movie news and reviews of this week's films, including Booksmart, See You Yesterday, and Aladdin. All on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Welcome to the latest episode of The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon, I am Tim Gordon, and today we have a really good show. Um, I'm, I'm smiling in my voice because I am terribly frustrated. I have had some amazingly personal challenges this week, but there's always a show every week. This week in studio... One of my chief shade throwers and protagonists, as well as one of my most trusted colleagues, Hannah Bookdahl, who is also on the Critical Movie Network, which Keeping It Real with Film Gordon is as well. Uh, she co-hosts the show with Charlie Jules called The Cinema Clash. So she's going to stop by and give us her unique perspective on films. And we will I'll just start before she even says it, that we really did not see eye to eye on Aladdin, but... Some of that stuff will come out. Also coming up later on in the show, we have Stefan Bristol, uh, whose short film a couple of years ago was the basis for the new Netflix film, which is now a feature, See You Yesterday. Wilson Morales sat down with him, and we're going to listen to that conversation a little later on. We'll also review, as we said earlier, See You Yesterday, Aladdin, and Booksmart all coming up later on in the show. Wilson Morales will be with us momentarily, but before we get there, I just wanted to start the show today by saying that, you know, Game of Thrones uh, finale was last week. There was a lot of buildup. Let's just say that the host of this show was not impressed with the ending of Game of Thrones. I was not impressed. And um, for, for too many reasons to go into right now, I was not a fan of the finale. Um, I would not go as far as some fans that are saying that we should reshoot the entire season all over because I think that's dumb. But I think sometimes people get finales right, and then oftentimes they don't, and they all can't be winners. So I'm not a fan of that, and I'm also watching a, a new show that's actually not new, but it was on Amazon Prime called The Last Tycoon, which is loosely based on F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel, which he didn't finish before he died, but is loosely based on the life of Hollywood golden boy and super producer Irving Thalberg. Um, an amazing show. And the only reason why I bring this up is because this year is the 90th anniversary of the first African-American talking film, which was called Hallelujah back in 1929. I just found out this morning that Irving Thalberg produced, that was one of a, over 100 films that he produced. So this guy was very prolific. The Last Tycoon, if you have Amazon Prime, check it out. It's a really, really good show. Now, without any further ado, online with us in New York, trusted colleague, uh, film critic, member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, as well as the editor-in-chief of BlackFilm.com and head of the Black Film Critics Circle, Wilson Morales. How are you, kind sir? Good, good. You know, it's uh, Memorial Day weekend, which means things turn, tend to slow down a week uh, because people are going away, going away for the next few days and so forth. But we've had some stories out there. You know, a lot of it seems to be on TV. Last night was obviously live on ABC, a broadcast of uh, All in the Family and the Jeffersons, in which Jimmy Fox uh, flubbed one of his lines. Wait, 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 um, wait. Uh, Charles Kirkland just looked and asked me did I watch it because I was trying to catch it. Uh, it. It wasn't reviewed well from what I'm understanding. Um, I actually didn't catch all of it. You know, some people have told me some of it, you know, so like, 
you know, it comes on. You know, I'm a film critic. So I'm always out I and about. Love, and I love. I love Wilson Morales will never get caught saying anything negative about anything. That was good. I, was I like saying, that. I, you know, I, I ain't watched that, I man. I was going to back because I did not catch it. You know, I just saw what I read, and a lot of people in colleagues have said that, you know, they start off by articles of saying Jimmy flubbed one of his lines, but nevertheless, hey, it's not always easy doing live television. You wow. Know? wow. Live. Wow. Especially when you're, when you're doing it, you know, we saw it happen in Rent where – uh, early this year, one of the main cast got hurt, and then they had to go into showing um, a taped version. Um, mm. So, you know, you can, only, you can only applaud them for doing it on one day, you know, right. one take and so forth. Right. But um, nevertheless, you know, you also have Aladdin coming up this uh, weekend, which obviously is this, from this different opinions. Uh, yes, yes, different opinions. Will Smith yes. playing the genie. Um, you also have uh, on TV. Uh, the second season premiere of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It. I will, I will, uh, 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Pacific. Gotta see it. I will binge watch the bejesus out of it, which is what I do when he comes out. You know, so yeah, so uh, Spike was uh, able to come do that and complete it. I actually spoke to Spike and he told me that the first thing I asked him was like, why did it take over a year to come back? And, you know, he's basically alluded like that. Netflix has so many programs that, you know, they have to get in line as far as you know, when Netflix has the time to translate the languages, put in all 190 countries, and then find the time slot to when it's going to air. So wait so a minute, like, Wilson. See, see, you buried the lead. I love how you did that all smooth. You know, hey, man, you know, I spoke to Spike, man. You know, I asked him. So, so, so this is what I'm talking about when I talk about Wilson Morales. Wilson Morales, keep doing what you're doing. Go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I spoke, to Spike. I spoke to Spike back in February. This was before he went off to uh, – Asia to start shooting his movie, uh-huh. you know. So, um, and obviously this was before uh, John Simpson passed away. Otherwise, I would have talked about that. Right. No, Speaking I got you, John man. Finnegan, you know, you know, I'm just teasing uh, you, man. We we all have access, man. So, you know, to, to folks in the is still getting memorialized in different places. You know, Black Film Critics Circle had shared with the Black Filmmakers Foundation, uh, run by Warrington Humbling last Saturday. Uh, we did a little tribute for him where we talked about our favorite scenes uh, from any one of his movies and uh, what he brought to the community as well as to film critics. You know, not all of his films were always adored, but there was something in there that someone can take from a positive standpoint. Right. You know, so we're still talking about uh, a guy who only had nine films when you think about it, you know, but made a big impact. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, earlier today, I guess I was just not recently announced, they said that Amanda Stenberg is, was cast in the reboot of a 1996 thriller called Fear, which then starred a young Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon. So once again, we're getting these reboots, remakes of films, whether they're cult classics or not, uh, basically black individuals. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I had the, I had a conversation with a colleague who's in studio with us about this very thing with Disney a couple of nights ago, about the absolute just greed of of the mouse, just the greed of the mouse. I mean, you're remaking live action stuff from stuff like 25 years ago. Well, you know, when they first started out, it worked obviously with Cinderella. It worked. With I think uh, Beauty and the Beast, I think it was because it made nearly a billion dollars. So it's sort of like, hey, you know, so long as and like you said, it's a cash cow. They, you know, they, the whole reason that they're doing Disney Plus is because they have so many characters in their pile, you know, that you can just take any one of those characters and make a series out of it, and it already has a fan base. You know, they're not coming up with anything new, at least not so much. You know, when you're doing stories on half the characters from the Avengers. You know, so you already got a fan base there, as opposed to Netflix have to, uh, you know, they're creating these series and they have to fight to get that audience. This is going to say, oh, here's a series starring Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier. Bam, you got me right there. <laughs> well, I think I think what I'm waiting for is that, like, by 2025, there's going to be a live-action Frozen, a live-action Toy Story. <laughs> we'll have Spike Lee doing the live-action, uh, the, uh, the repeat or the uh, sequel to Beauty and the Beast 2. You know, if you have oh, yeah. Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin. You know, then basically, you know, think about it. Now that they have Fox, you know, it's like, you know, the sky's the limit. Everybody's got to play catch-up, you know. 
That's why, uh, yeah, everybody's playing catch when Disney now owns Fox. Because, you know, it's only Universal and Paramount left in the game to compete. Yeah, I, I just think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, that the, 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 the minis are the ones that are losing out because Disney and the other majors now, it becomes such about tentpole programming and franchises that there's not room for smaller, like we're talking about films like Booksmart. There's not room for a lot of smaller films these days. And I think that's to the, the, to the detriment of audiences. And I think that's something that we really need to keep an eye on as people who review in this business, that we see it firsthand, that the small indie movie is really not getting the chance to breathe. Thank God for a Netflix. Thank God for an Amazon or Hulu and some of these other streaming platforms that these films can play on because they're not playing in theaters anymore. Well, but that's, but, that is, but that's also a tough choice because at the end of the day, you know, Netflix works in some areas and sometimes it doesn't work because, you know, you can play it on Netflix, but then what kind of shelf life does it have? Because of the fact that they're putting on so many programs on, right. whether it be a film or a series, you know, um, you, you had a movie just recently called... Um, Someone great with the Wanda Wise. Right. You know, it came on, and it's nearly three weeks later, and no one's talking about it. Whereas, if it was still in the theaters, you could you can have that Monday morning conversation, whether or not it's still doing well or not in the theaters. Yeah. And you could still watch, um, and you could still talk about it. But you know, you figure last week we had to see you yesterday. This week, um, you know, everybody's going to be talking about she's got to have it too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to try to binge watch it. Next week, you have when they see us. You know, and those are just three properties that I'm talking about regarding Netflix. We're not talking about whatever else is playing on Hulu or Amazon or anything else. You know, so like where it's in the movies, you know, usually a movie would last in the theaters one month. So you got at least a three-week period to promote a movie, you know, and people could say, okay, I'm interested in seeing it now. Whereas anything that's playing on the streaming platform, initially your mindset will say, I'll get to it at some point. And if you're not curious to see it right away. All right, Wilson, before you get out of here, man, and I'm online with Wilson Morales, editor-in-chief of blackfilm.com. Let's go to south of France for a second and talk about uh, the the film that has lit Cannes up and now has become the front runner, dare I say, in May, the Oscar race. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino, what are you hearing? Because I see what I'm reading. I haven't read all of it yet, but here's my take on, on Kent. You know, last year you had Black Klansmen there, mm-hmm. you know, and lately in Cannes, the last three, four years, you've only had talk on like three to four films that have had an impact, you know, from a marketing standpoint. So, you know, when you get a movie like Black Klansmen, you know that Spike Lee is going to be very colorful in whatever he has to say. So that's already a sell. And so when you have uh, Tarantino, you know, coming back 25 years after Pulp Fiction with two of the biggest stars in Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, everybody's ready to write something great. All you have to do is, you know, play par, you know, using girl terminology, like you know you're going to get the right, just don't mess up, you know. Uh, everybody's talked about this for the longest time. Is it a front runner? That, Rocket Man, you know. Uh, Tarantino always seems to be in a race. Um, if, you know, so the question is, does it hold up between now and December, you know, or will it be amongst the top five? You know, and then there's, and there aren't that many people that see it. You know, you got European critics are totally different from domestic critics, you know, so they'll praise it on by the time it hits the, the States, you know, we may think the same thing or we may think differently. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Wilson Morales right there. Wilson, tell people where they can follow you and read your content, man. You can find it over at blackfin.com. Instagram. All right, you got muffled on me. Do that one more time. You can find it on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. All right. Uh, Wilson, it's always a pleasure. You enjoy your uh, binge watching of She's Gotta Have It. Something tells me you've already seen it and you just haven't said anything yet, but it's cool. I have. I know. I'm going to the premiere tonight. <laughs> I know. I hate you. All right, man. Until next week, bro. You enjoy your All holiday, right. man. We'll talk. Later. All right. Take care, man. All right, of course, that's Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com who joins us at the top of every show. We're going to take a break right now and come back with the musings of Hannah Bookdahl from the Cinema Clash. You guys are listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's DCRadio.gov if you're listening at home. 
Man, it's a lot of fun up in here. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Charles Kirkland is online. Well, not online. He's in the studio joining me in this segment. Charles, how are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here uh-huh. again. And also in studio, <laughs> this is this is this is one of uh, people that I was really looking forward to bringing in here. Uh, several months ago, we were getting ready for our vote for the Washington D.C. Area Film Critics Association, aka WAFCA. I, Tim Gordon, happen to serve in the capacity as the current and founding president of the organization. And I was at a screening around the time during award season, and we were preparing for the vote. And I'll never forget, I walked into a local movie theater here two in the afternoon for a screening, and it was a shady film critic that was sitting in the second or third row. We need, I don't understand why our vote is happening so early. We need to extend our vote because there's one movie I didn't get a chance to see. My first response was word. Uh, this is such a great welcome, they, they Tim. Send out, they send out screeners. They We have all sorts of time that people such uh, as yourself, well, not you. I'm saying that person, which just happened to be you. Um, why do I feel like I'm on the player haters ball? What is going on here? If I I remember correctly, the movie was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And somebody Uh who shall not be named, Tim Gordon, said, oh, don't worry. You're going to get the screener for that before the vote. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew that was not going to be the case? (laughs) I suspected. But but, but I say all that, but I introduced you guys to... Uh, the co-host of the Cinema Clash. Clash. I was going to say Siren, but I was getting you confused with, with Leslie. Uh, Leslie, no. Yeah. But the Cinema Clash, it is none other than, uh, wow, we'll talk in a second, Hannah Bookdahl. Hannah, how are you? I'm you know how I'm saying Hannah. Hannah, yes. I could say Hannah, but I just like saying Hannah. <laughs> That's fine. I, re- I answer to that as well. Hannah and I go back. How long have we known each other? Probably close to nine years now. Nah. And Hannah, Hannah looks at me with a sense of... Although, wait, you didn't talk to me for the first four, so I'd say maybe about five years <laughs> what now. What are you talking about? I talk to everybody. I know the feeling. Wait a minute. I, I know not, the feeling. Did I not talk to you really? Not really. Seriously? I, I mean, I said I hi, right? Rate. I didn't rate. You funny. I, that See, I'm typically the guy that talks to everybody. So True. I generally, as a rule, know every film critic because I walk up to people and go, who are you? You sure who are you do. With? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, you know, and then when they push back, I go, I'm asking because, and they go, oh, okay. So, Nell is the nice one. I'm not oh, the nice one. Nell's great. We, we have we have good cop, bad cop. I'm, I'm, I'm continually bad cop. But she's way good cop. Yeah, but Hannah, <laughs> Hannah's pretty cool. Hannah and I... Um, you get more hugs than Nell. <laughs> you're funny. Hannah and I sat next to each other the other night at Booksmart. Yes, we did. Yeah. So Hannah and I, we, you know, I don't, I guess we were the, the last unfortunate critics that didn't see it. So because nobody else was there. Uh, Charlie was there, my uh, co-host. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I was there. And Charles was there next to Charlie, I remember. Thank well, you. Well, I'm you, you, noticed that, you noticed that Charles got there late, which meant that he got put in the timeout seat, which was down at the end. <laughs> we were you. all here. It was like, oh, no, Charles, you down there, player. It's okay. I saw the movie. That's oh. what I was there for. Okay, okay. And I got to speak to Hannah both before and after the movie. That's right. So, Tim, Tim's there to socialize. Charles was there to actually watch no, the movie. No, it's all, it's all political people. It's like when you <laughs> when you are in a leadership position, it is not my job to sit in an ivory tower and not communicate with people. So mm-hmm. if you'll see generally, and people ask me all the time, it's like, you know, I, I'm going around, you know, I have to check in with everybody, make sure you check the temperature, that people have things they need to say to you, like Hannah. How come, how come we not, <laughs> why is our vote so early? 
Well, Hannah. <laughs> Charles. It's, it's really going to be early little, this year. Yeah, I feel a little beaten up here. So, <laughs> so we, just welcomed, we, just, we just welcomed. We just welcomed. I need the Terminator. No, we just welcomed seven new members into WAFCA. Uh, we now have 64 critics Yay. in this market, which um, I'm terribly conflicted about mm-hmm. that I don't think that there's 64 people who should be. I, I'm just being real. I mean, you know, Nell and I. Butt heads on this all the time. I, I personally think that the group should be half the size because I don't think everybody. And I think also, and it's my fault because when I wrote the original bylaws, that I think if I would have known then and then was back in 2003, what I know today, the number wouldn't be 50. The number would probably be 100. Because I think as a rule, most working critics can do 100. You can do, how many movies are you reviewing a year? Honestly, because, and actually it's not fair for you because what you're doing on the Critics Movie Network would count. So if you guys are doing three movies a week, that counts. Oh, yeah. Me and you are in the same boat. And I have a day job, you know, that I'm not a professional movie critic all the time. Yeah, but... Uh, but but it's, it's a catch-22, but I'm seeing well over 100 movies. Well, well I over. think I think you're seeing well over 200 movies, it, to be It could very honest. well be, because we do, on the Cinema Clash, we try to do a really healthy mix of the mainstream movies. Right. And giving some props to those smaller indies and foreign films that might not otherwise get any, uh, any real buzz. So, on average... How many films a week are you and Charles reviewing on your show? For a long time, we were doing five to seven, but we have we, we've cut <laughs> wow. that down. Yeah, we've cut that down a bit just because it got a little overwhelming, and uh, with summer movie season and with summer travel, it's harder. But I'd say that now we're averaging uh, three to four a week. So, 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 so when, when you say you're reviewing, is this a collaborative? You, both of you are reviewing, or is it for a he long does time, one and you do one? For a long time, it was we both saw almost everything that we talked about because we're sort of a he said, she said dynamic. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so we find that if we don't both have uh, something to say about a movie, you get a lot of dead air time. But uh, I would say now we're trying to see at least two a week that we both have seen, and then occasionally one or the other of us will talk about something that, uh, that we didn't both necessarily see, but we'll weigh in a little bit on whether we think we might want to see it now right. based on the other one's opinion. So you, so you just justify my original point, because yeah. if you, yeah. let's say hypothetically you guys took two weeks off a year, and you were doing 50 weeks a year, and you were averaging two movies a week, which... Two movies is low. Because yeah. most times, like today, I'm reviewing three on this show. I've had weeks here where we've had like four, five. Right. Or there's some, like, or what I've decided I've started doing because we've got to fit it into one segment. So as a rule, I think, Charles, what is it, like four? I might do four in a segment, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or if there's a week where they're like more than four or five really good movies, I might stretch it and do two segments of reviews. But... You you easily, if you're doing this job, will easily review over 100 movies a year. Easily. That's why I think 50 is, as a number to me, is just too low. I don't know. I think 50 is fair to start out, and maybe you start weeding through over the course of time uh, and see what people really do deliver on. Uh, because it's a catch-22 for me, because I remember when I started and needed to get on the quote-unquote list, right. uh, it was difficult. It was like you needed to be a member of WAFCA in order to get on the list, but you couldn't get on the list if you didn't see at least 50 movies a year. Right. And so uh, the associate membership was sort of that way of going, okay, you know, we'll, we'll let you in that way. <laughs> well, and Brandon, it was luckily your old membership chair, right, Brandon, right, right. Brandon yeah. who really helped kind of get Brandon me in. Fibs. Brandon Brandon Fibbs got me in the back door, and uh, and then yeah, once I you. once I was able to see. Generally, I'm a very likable person, <laughs> but uh, but it was it was one of those which came first. You know, I needed to be able to have access to more movies in order to see more movies, to do more reviews right. before these movies came out, and then uh, that sort of snowballed and allowed me to see a lot more. And then you get on these lists where you suddenly get the access to the smaller movies and the special screenings. And so I think it's more a matter of really keeping tabs out of that 65 or whatever the number might be, enforcing how many they're really doing and saying, you know what, if, if you're not doing X number for real, then, uh, then I think the associate membership status is sort of the way to go. Right. Uh, because then you can just say, nope, you're not being elevated. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think in hindsight, and again, I'm, I'm live in studio with Hannah Buckdahl, 
who is not just a member of WAFCA, but, you know, trusted colleague. And it's funny because I tell people all the time that all of us who do what we do and so much time we spend, like right now we're not really spending a lot of time, but like as the year picks up, right? you know, when we get closer to award season and movies start coming in and, you know, you're in theater three, four times a week, it's, it's almost like a small little fraternity mm-hmm. of people. Um, for me, I think where a lot of my, a, a lot of why I'm conflicted about this is that, you know, we were there at the beginning, right? So at the beginning, you know, when we first did this, it was a very different landscape for how you became a film critic. So there were no blogs. We didn't have, and I hate to say this because it makes me sound like I'm so dated, but there was no, I mean, we didn't have bloggers and websites and all of this stuff. It was just, you were, you wrote for an outlet. So when I first started, I started because I was at, I think, Radio 1. Uh, Joe Barber was at uh, where Jason Frehley is, WTOP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had Arch at NBC, and you had people at The Post. So, you know, these were the folks who were, like, doing this stuff. You know, Jane and Rita Kempley and all these old-school folks, right? And even the publicists back in the day, I always tell this story for you guys who weren't there, the publicists now are much nicer. And I'm saying that like half sarcastically and half like you would have had to have been in the room for some of the reps that were at Abramson, Ehrlich and Means and Ernie Johnston before it became allied, that publicists were like cutthroat. Like you were either here or you were not on their level at all. I'm not even talking to you until you get up here. And it was interesting at the beginning navigating my way through all of that stuff and having watched, you know, the evolution of what became Allied and the evolution of what became PR Collaborative and how movies are, are, are distributed to critics. You know, when I first started, you'd get a letter in the mail and it would be on colored paper. So you might see Spider-Man and it'll be on a green sheet of paper. And they did that to avoid people coming in with, like, I got a letter, and it was on white paper, and they're like, no, the letter this week is green. And they would always constantly be changing the paper. So that was a big deal back in the day. Um, You know, when we used to screen at theaters like 4000 Wisconsin Avenue before Georgetown was built, before uh, Mazzie Galleria was built. Um, So all these old movie houses and the personalities Back in the day, you know, when Arch was king. So, I mean, it was a it was a lot of stuff before the emergence of Kevin McCarthy. So, having watched it all, and I'm constantly always dialoguing with Nell about how best to improve kind of our membership. And maybe, honestly, what you talked about earlier with associates, maybe we should go back to associates and look at people who can do 50 and put them on an associates list and maybe explore going to a higher number. I like the higher number to try to maintain what I think is much more of the quality of it. You are doing the number. You're doing the work. So for you, this is not a problem. You know, the Jim Judys, the Nell Minnows, the Travis Hobsons, there's a bunch of people who I know easily are hurling a 100 bar. But I needed that associate status to get there. Right. And that's the difference is uh, if I had not done my due diligence and my fair share after that right. first year, right. theoretically, I could have been just axed. And so maybe that's what Nobody you do. Nobody was axing you. Yeah, nobody was axing. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it really, right, right, right. It, it was absolutely necessary for me to build that initial base of contacts mm-hmm. and getting into the theaters mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. yeah. the marketing people and building those relationships. Uh, but you can't, you can't go from zero to 60. You can't just walk in the door and, uh, and get in mm-hmm. and do 100. You absolutely need an opportunity to, to build your relationships and get a sense of the kind of movies that you're going to like. And, you know, we've discovered you can't see everything. You just simply can't. I mean, you could. You, you can no. try. Oh, look, look. No. The first year no. when they gave uh, me status, impossible. I tried to see everything. I think I, I saw, like, close to 300 movies, it's and insane. I was tired. <laughs> not only that, but you start, I think you start getting jaded, and you start absolutely. not appreciating absolutely. what other people might see in a movie. And I'll come out of some movie where... I'm just tired or I've seen something just like it two days before, but then, and so I don't give it a raving review, but then some friends of mine see it and talk about how wonderful it is and that they loved it. (laughs) And you realize they didn't see that other one that you saw two days before. So they don't have that same basis of comparison. It's why people go to Rotten Tomatoes now uh, to sort of see what the aggregate 
yeah. review is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm a firm believer that uh, you need a lot of different voices. And yeah, my stuff might not be as sophisticated or deep, but uh, it's going to let people know, here's something I think you're going to enjoy and why, and, uh, and here's something I didn't like and why. And sometimes I think it's just that simple. So you liked... Uh you like Aladdin, huh? I, I like Aladdin. Uh, I despite, just, despite my objections. I, I hear your objections, and mm-hmm. I hear other people's objections, but I thought it did pretty darn good. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the 1992 original. I don't think any genie can be as good as Robin Williams. Absolutely. But I think when, when you take it all into account, I love that Oscar bait song Speechless that they have Jasmine sing that's original. You know, I think that's fun. I think that was a bring down the house power number. I cannot wait. Ballad. I cannot wait. Charles I think, does not agree with me. No, I can no, I see from say, the look on his face, but I, just I liked saw it. Somebody put a banner in this studio, which I think we're going to investigate that we put up a keeping a real banner and we need to start recording this show. Doing some audio because I would love people in the room to be like, "Wait, what?" They can find it. Go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and look up Speechless. So we, need to, we need to. Yeah, I'm it's a power ballad, but it's 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 in that vein of the old movie musical power number and uh, like a greatest showman. And so I think this is going to be that kind of movie that appeals to people who like Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella live action, uh, The Greatest Showman. To me, you know, it's a movie musical genre fans movie. Okay, Hannah, where can people listen to <laughs> the Cinema Clash? They can give them information. They can listen to the Cinema Clash multiple ways. They can download it on iTunes, subscribe mm-hmm. on iTunes, uh, on your network on Blog Talk Radio, and also uh, on RadioStPete.com out of St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> it's uh, internet-based, but uh, Radio St. Pete in Florida. Uh, uh, and uh, and then you can also find me on ChickFlix.net. So C-H-I-C-K-F-L-I-X.net. Hannah Buckdahl. It is always a pleasure. Thanks, Please Tim. Please come back. I Don't will. go anywhere because we got more show. Oh, great. Uh, we're coming back on the other side. We're going to talk to filmmaker Stefan Bristol. Uh, his film, See You Yesterday, so you don't want to miss that. You guys are listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and of course, we'll be right back. Hey, hey, I am your lovely Missy Stone, and you are listening to The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Knocked up nine months ago, and what she finna have, she don't know. She want Neo Soul, cause him hop is old. She don't want no rock and roll. She want platinum or ice and gold. She want a whole lot of sun to fall. Cold, you just drive your cold, cause one monkey don't stop the show, little Mary's bad, in these streets she done ran, ever since when the heat began, I told a girl look here, calm down, I'ma hold your hand, to enable you to beat the plane, cause you was quick to learn, and we can make money to burn if you allow Welcome me back to the show, and coming up in our next segment, it's gonna be time for reviews, but right now, uh, our next guest is an award-winning filmmaker, who claims that he is in the pursuit of becoming a master of the art of storytelling. Yeah, that's, that's some big shoes to fill there, bro. Um, he is a protege of Spike Lee, begged Spike Lee for an opportunity to intern for him. He made a short film a couple of years ago, which has now been turned into a feature. The feature is called See You Yesterday, which is currently running on Netflix. He is Stefan Bristol. He sat down with Wilson Morales, our show correspondent, to talk about his debut film, and here's their conversation. This is Wilson Morales talking to Stefan Bristol with his newest film, See You Yesterday. This movie evolved from a short film to a feature film. Was that, was that always the game plan? Yes, that's definitely always the game plan. Um, when I was in NYU film school, I wanted to uh, do a feature film for my thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, to graduate as a director and I was trying to um, it was March when I came up with the idea I was trying to shoot it that summer um, and you know my professors were saying I was not um, ready to make a feature yet and advised me to do a short and that's when I thought of the short and um, you know fire producers and then brought up Ron Frederica um, and and Thank God for the short dip that's very successful. And then it became a launching pad for the feature. Where did the concept come from? It, I wanted to do sci-fi. And I was trying to 
uh, make a story about a kid trying to save um, his best friend from his father through drunk driving. Um, but it was during the summer of 2014, and Mike Brown and Eric Garner was being murdered. Um, and those murders bled into my script. And uh, a professor of mine saw, read the script, and she advised me to either leave in a police battalion or take it out. Because uh, it was just a scene of a police battalion in the script, and she wasn't, um, she she wanted to make sure that I wasn't um, I'm making light of, of police battalion. And knowing what happened with Sean Bell and, and Amdulialo, um, I knew this cycle was going to continue to happen, so I said, let me just stick with police battalion and move forward from there. Now, the short film did very well. You know, it was ABC, everybody got it. When you're making it into a feature film and you yeah. have to expand it, you know, yeah. what's the challenge of you obviously expanding the characters and adding yeah. more to it? I, it's trial and error. I, at first, I, my co-writer, Fredrika, she wasn't sure, because we said what we needed to say in the short, what more can we say in the feature? And I knew there was going to be a lot more to say, because um, not only about police brutality, but, you know, these kids doing, they're, these kids are STEM um, um, students, and and plus we in in a Caribbean neighborhood in it, so there's be so much more to say, uh, and we just you know we just got into it, you know we just write the first draft and and get to the second and get to the third and and and, and figure it out. What major changes did you do from the short to the features? For those who've seen the short, there obviously mm -hmm. some changes in there. Yeah. You know, um, why did you make those changes? One because I I, I needed to show. Um, kids really involved in, in STEM research because um, we never seen that before on film. You know, really bl bright young black people. You know, um, every time you see black kids on screen, it's always a basketball, football player, or or someone in sports, or um, they're in a gang member, they're doing drugs, or they're just you know wilding out. And I just need some see something different. So just just the STEM alone was great, and that was challenging because the research to do that was challenging. Um, and just you know, me being a Caribbean American person, I want to want to show um, the Black immigrant experience in America. You're the true leads. Obviously, you kept them on. Sometimes that doesn't happen when you make a feature film. Mm -hmm. So talking about bringing those two individuals. It makes sense. And we didn't want to ha get stars um, that that are not from Brooklyn, that don't understand the culture. Ed and Dante. First of all, Ed and Dante did a great job in the short. If it if it's if it's you know if it's you know if it's working why trying to fix something that's really working that doesn't make any sense I, I forgot how you say the, the the phrasing but but they're they're great I have a great relationship with them uh, I know what they're capable of doing and having fresh faces will also um, you know make make the film more exciting. How does Spike get involved? I knew him for eight years so when he he helped me with the short he was my mentor at NYU and. And, you know, after he seen the short and the success for it, he just came to me and said, Stefan, if you want me to be your producer, let me know. And I said, of course. The element of CGI in the movie or doing the time travel, you mm -hmm. know, there's always going to be like, eh, it looks funny, it works. Yeah. How did you approach it? I, when I first, before Netflix, I was trying to figure out how to make most of the CGI off screen. But Netflix said you could do more. Um, but we still had a very modest budget, to be honest with you. And I, I embraced my limitations. I embraced the um, the what you call it the the the, the low budgetness of it. And hey, beautiful jerk, the um, the company that did it, they were amazing to work with. Um, I, I let them, you know, run with their imaginations. I was very collaborative and say, hey, you guys do what you need to do. Come back to me, and let's continue to figure it out. There's a lot that's within this film. What would, would you classify it as a dramedy or more of a drama? Dramedy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's... Okay, I'll say drama, but there's humor in it. Because, like, you know, the the tragedy in this film is very, you know, is very heavy. The only way you keep the audience engaged is humor because you don't want to... You don't want the comedy or the jokes to make light of the situation. Um, and, and, and that took a lot of, um, that took a lot of trial and error in the script. Um, a lot of trial and error on set with the actors. And of course, a lot of trial and error in the editing. And a lot of test screenings we did because we want to make sure we're doing, make sure we want, we want to make sure we get this film right. Every beat, every moment, 
um, because I don't want people to think that, you know, because uh, I have a lot of people come up to me that say, I've been through this before. And and, thank, and thankfully, they thank me for it. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be people that are not happy with it, and, that, and that's understandable. Um, but I just want to, you know, just, we can't, we can't, any movie you do, even if it's, if it's a comedy or a dramedy or whatever, if it's something really heavy happening in the movie, you have to have some kind of humor too, for people to focus, to continue to go on with your journey. And the first time filmmaker going from a short to a feature film, you know, what did you, what did you find more challenging or handicap either? Was it the limitations of what you can do through the budget or, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, uh, just doing the first film completing it? Just doing the first film completing it alone. It, like, the budget wasn't great. The limitation on the budget wasn't much worrisome for me. It was just like, okay. Um, I was really prepared to embrace those limitations for this film. Mm -hmm. uh, what I was... Um, the ish, the biggest issue I had making the film is, and it was a double-edged sword. It's when after the after the studio and producers saw the producers cut, I mean the director's cut. Um, everyone wanted to be a director. <laughs> everyone has something to say. Everybody wanted to throw their opinions on it, and I there was a lot of fights and challenges and and and, um, and arguments. And I mean, all love to my producers and Netflix. They were amazing collaborators. Without them, this movie wouldn't be it. Um, but I had to um, manage people's expectations. You know what I'm saying? Because you, know, you have to remember the root of it. Like We had a lot of fun making it, but we had to remember what we're trying to do, and that's more important. That trumps everything more than trying to you know, polish the movie. The movie's completed. It's going to be on Netflix. Does it lend itself to be a sequel, or what's the next step for you? I got stuff in the works. All right, and special thanks to both Wilson Morales and filmmaker Stefan Bristol. See You Yesterday is currently on Netflix. Trust me, there are about 10,000 movies on Netflix. Just type it in the search bar because it might not come up. Uh, coming up in our next segment, it is going to be time to talk Aladdin, See You Yesterday, and Booksmart. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon here at DC Radio. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, and this week's reviews are brought to you by TheFilmGordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict, not Hannah. Check out all of our film content at TheFilmGordon.com. There are three movies opening this week, one on the streaming giant Netflix, the other two in theaters. But before we begin, cue the music. <laughs> First up this week is a sci-fi film directed by Stefan Bristol, and it is entitled See You Yesterday. The film is written by Bristol and Frederica Bailey and stars Eden Duncan Smith, Dante Critchlow, and Astro. His name, not mine's. Uh, this film follows the story of an ambitious science prodigy who uses her proudness and capabilities to create a time machine in order to save her brother from an incident that claimed his life. As she tries to alter the events of the past, she will eventually face the perilous consequences of time travel. Here is a clip from See You Yesterday. Once the wormhole opens, the protons and the energy generated will break down our molecular structure so we can pass through the wormhole, so we can get to our time destination with our molecular structure fully reconstructed. <clears throat> Hopefully. It will. Okay. Make it zoom in. This is where we'll put in our time coordinates and where we'll monitor the stability of the wormhole. 
Our TRPs only harness enough power to go back one full day into the past, so we'll go back to yesterday, 4.26 p.m., June 26, 2019. All right. Ready? Yeah. All righty. This film, See You Yesterday, I remember seeing a short film of it at a film festival a couple of years ago. I don't know if it was Sundance. I don't know. It was one of the festivals that I went to. And I thought it was a really cool idea. And since then, I've gone back to Sundance, and I've seen films like Relive that kind of mine the same territory and there are a couple of other films that are out as well that kind of play with space time jordan peele recently did an episode of uh, the twilight zone called rewind or replay that has an Lathan kind of mining similar territory but in this one which i thought works out very well there's uh two science geeks and their science teacher played by michael j fox and probably one of the best lines in the film is you know that he was like time travel Great Scott, you know if you watched <laughs> if you watched uh, Back to the Future, but anyway, I thought this film with a mix of sci-fi mixed in with sort of a cultural element, looking at Black Lives Matters and looking at how to save in this case how to save a black life, only to discover that much like in all of these stories that you can go back and try to change time, but when you change one event something else kind of happens and you always wound up with the same kind of same kind of outcome and then you have to decide whose life gets sacrificed and i think it's a really important moment in the film see you yesterday not the biggest budget but as i said stefan bristol who begged spike lee for an internship and then in turn spike wound up producing this film years later it is a wonderful debut film with a provocative story that may have been a lot more special if we didn't see six or seven other films like this. Um, on a scale of one, I'm not, I don't even have a scale of one to ten, but I'm just thinking that as a, as a film grade, feels like a B- minus to me. I mean, it's not a C movie. It's not an average movie. I like the direction of what the movie tries to do, and I understand the storytelling and the performances, which I think are very, very strong in this, this indie as well. So See You Yesterday, you can currently check it out. It's on Netflix. Um, and, as I, and I was joking, but I'm not joking. There's so much content on Netflix. Just go to the search bar and put in See You Yesterday because you may not find it if it pops up on your screen. Up next is Booksmart, the coming-of-age film directed by Olivia Wilde in her directorial debut from a screenplay from the writing team of Emily Halpern, Sarah Haskins, Suzanne Fogel, and Katie Silverman. It also stars Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, Jessica Williams, Will Forte, Lisa Kudrow, and Jason Sudeikis and follows two graduating high school girls who set out to finally break the rules and party on their last day of classes. Will Farrell and Adam McKay act as executive producers. Let's just listen to a clip from Booksmart. Okay, that's it. Signing off. Go Crockett's. Boom. Principal Brown. Oh. Hi, Molly, Amy. What's shaking? I want to make the transition of next year's student government as seamless as possible so that when I'm up in New Haven... Yale. You can just say Yale. Please. Well, our class's official policy is to not discuss where anyone is attending next year. We don't want them to feel insecure. Very thoughtful. Anyway, I need to go over the end of the year budget numbers we have. Oh, gosh. Really? Like now? What, I mean, why don't you do it with Nick, you know? Please? I mean, he's, he, you know, he's the vice president. Nick? We both know that Nick only ran for VP because they planned the dances. That position is, it's basically a popularity contest. He's useless. Ladies, it's the last day. You know, we did it, huh? We got you through high school. Can't we just graduate, head off to college, you know, celebrate this wonderful achievement, and let's focus on getting through the rest of the day without anything I'm sorry, horrible are you shutting happening, the door on okay? us? All right, 10 years ago, there was this little movie that came out. You might have heard of it called Superbad. Superbad was a story of two kids who were kind of like, not the cool kids, they were kind of nerd-like, who have aspirations to attend a big party before they get out of high school and in turn find themselves and find out that while they revere and think their classmates are like cool and some of them are like idiots, but they're all sort of kind of all connected in this universe. I bring that film up because this film has a lot of overtures or, or a lot of similarities, I would say, to that film. 
even down to the star, one of the co-stars of the film, Jonah Hill starred in Superbad. Jonah Hill's sister stars in Booksmart, a really interesting film that mines similar territory um, where Superbad was kind of raunchy and funny. This one is not as raunchy, but it is equally as funny. And the thing that I enjoyed about this film is that in films like 10 Things I Hate About You um, and so many other films that have mined this kind of high school territory, she managed inside of this to find something kind of fresh and original to bring to the story that kind of enhances it in a way where I'm like, okay, I see, I see, you know, that Olivia Wilde really put a little thought into this thing. And I think she gets super performances from everybody in the cast. This movie for me is the, the, it's in the title. It is actually very smart that these two young girls who, you know, aren't lovers, but they are so close to each other. They're like, they've been like the bestest of friends, like all throughout their childhood, that these two ladies together are, have, have kind of abandoned everything and have kind of focused to try to make sure that they can get their lives on track only to discover that everybody else in school figured out how to balance and have fun and equally are doing the same thing. Then they are just outraged. And this party is their way of kind of letting loose and letting free book smart is a lot of fun. It is very, very funny. I was surprised and I'm not going to use the line that my colleague who's sitting in the room told me, man, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, cause better than I thought it was going to be. No, not for this film for another one. When people say that, that basically means I thought this movie was going to be terrible. It's not really great, but it's better than terrible. This movie is far from being terrible. This movie, I didn't, I looked at the trailer and thought it was going to be interesting. Um, it was much more than I thought it was going to be, but not in a way that I thought it was going to be terrible. Just saying that for both critics in the room. Book smart. I'm giving a B. I thought this movie was fun. Um, it reminded me a lot of Accepted, which was another one of these films that I really, really love. You know, the, the students of South Harmon Institute of Technology, you work the jerk out on your own at home. <laughs> so, so that's what I thought about Booksmart, which brings us to our final film of the week and the film I really want to talk about, which is Disney's live action version of Aladdin, uh, the original, which came out in 1992. Here we are with the live-action musical fantasy some 27 years later, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie. Stick a pin in that. It would be back on that. Who co-wrote the screenplay with John August. Uh, this film is uh, based on the folktale 1001 Nights and stars Will Smith as the genie, Mina Massoud, Naomi Scott, Marwin Kinzari, and a bunch of other names that I'm not going to try to butcher and, and mispronounce. <laughs> now, in this film, street urchin Aladdin finds a magic lamp and must use it to win over Princess Jasmine and defeat the evil Jafar. Here is a clip from Aladdin. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Right, you'll be snuggled up with that dude for the rest of your life. Y'all Yo, see my palace? Be specific with your words. The deal is in the detail. Got it. Which I don't really understand, because if she already likes you, why change? I told you, she has to marry a prince. I just want to go home, man. Okay, I can do that. All right. I tell you guys this, who listen to this show every week. One of the most difficult things that I am asked to do as a film critic and as people, as a person who, who has to analyze a thing, is to try to analyze a thing in the middle. Um, I can easily rail and go on about stuff I don't like, because I can, you know, if I don't really like it, we can talk about it for days. If I love it, we can talk about it for days. Stuff in the middle, it's a struggle, people. And Aladdin, for me, falls in the middle. From the moment that I saw directed by Guy Ritchie, uh, and I'm thinking, you talking about the same guy, Richard, from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is doing a live-action Aladdin, huh? Word. Um, Will Smith taking over the role of Robin Williams 
from the animated original, a role that Robin Williams defined. And in this film, it feels like Will Smith is doing his best Robin Williams instead of his best Will Smith. Um, the third thing for me about this movie that I really want to talk about is the musical stylings. You know, we changed some of the songs, uh, you know, you'll discover that there's some Bollywood mixed with some traditional Indian fare that sort of doesn't make any sense. Um, but for the most part, everybody who's listening to my voice is probably old enough and have seen, has seen the original Aladdin, right? So there's not a lot there that's different. They tweaked a couple of things in it. They changed some of the songs, but for the most part, the story is a story. Would everybody in the room agree? Thank you. Um, my issue with it was, is that I just think the, 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 we get back to Guy Ritchie. I just think it's a very curious choice to take an action director and have him do Aladdin. And not to say that a director shouldn't be kind of, you know, be versatile enough in order to do that. But would you imagine somebody, what's the guy's name uh, who does the hostile movies um, that makes these dark films? I mean, give me, well, you know what I'm talking about. So what's his name? Eli Roth. Can you imagine if I said, hey, man, we got Eli Roth in Beauty and the Beast 2. How would that go across? Would that, would that put a perception in your mind like Eli Roth? What if I said Spike Lee's doing Frozen 2? How would that work out? Or even better than that, if I said, check out that Tyler Perry Bambi. I know everybody in the room. Everybody in the room is giving me looks. So you see where I'm going with this. So the fact that the man who was married to Madonna and made that horrible movie, what was it, Shipwrecked or something like that? Ship Overboard? I'll, I'll forget what it was a couple of years ago. It's doing Aladdin to me just... Ah, I, so that didn't work. Will Smith, I talked about him doing Robin Williams. Will Smith reminds me a lot of Samuel L. Jackson, right? We tolerate and love Samuel L. Jackson because he's Samuel L. Jackson in every movie, right? So whether it's Formula 54, you know, whether it's some snakes on that, you know what, plane, uh, whether he's Jules, his Sam Jackson, a variation of Sam Jackson, Will Smith in Wild Wild West, um, <laughs> in this movie. Um, I'm trying to think there's another movie where Will was just being too much Will. I think that it needed a big personality in order to play the genie because that's what Robin Williams kind of established in the first one. I can't really think of too many other actors that I think, because I, I would play it in my mind, like who else could have done it? Will seems to be a natural choice. Maybe I have to watch it two or three more times and maybe it'll make more sense in, in repeat viewings. The fact that the whole kind of Indian Arab thing. At least I think that Disney got that part right because the Disney of old would have just put your dad and messed it up and cast a bunch of people that looked Indian or looked Arab uh, and made it work. For some reason, like I said, I just, I think it's entertaining. I think that if you pay for it, that I think young kids will probably enjoy the movie. For me, it feels like the three elements that you heard me talk about, the director, the star, and kind of elements of the story just don't cohesively come together for me. I would give Aladdin a C minus. Um, I didn't, I, I thought it again, I'm not taking away from its ability to be enjoyable. I'm just saying that it doesn't work for me. Now I'm Tim Gordon, right? So you're going to take your family to see Aladdin anyway. I'm just telling you, cause I'm sure that somebody like, yeah, Tim, you right. Don't be listening to Hannah. Hannah don't know what she's talking about. So <laughs> I gave this movie a C minus. Um, I just think, and I'm also kind of getting to the point where I'm jaded that I don't really think that we got to keep making live action versions of like animated classics. I just, you know, the Lion King, I am really anxious to see how the live action Lion King is going to play because the, the, uh, yeah, the, the the original is so kind of firmly in our brains. So, but enough of that, and I can reel on. We're running out of time right now. Our super producer, Shane, uh, whatever his last name is. Uh, yeah, I did that on purpose. Shane Lewis is telling us that we're out of time. 
Uh, as I said, for Shane and our associate producer, Charles Kirkland. Also, special thanks to the Shade Thor Supreme, Hannah Buckdahl, who's in, in studio. Uh, as I tell you guys in closing every week, please sub- see something good at the movies this week. Aladdin might be good. Aladdin might not be good. You be the judge. Until next week, I'm Tim Gordon. Enjoy your holiday weekend, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Peace. I'm in the